this week on Hope for the Broken. You know, there's many ways that we can leave a legacy. What if we were to leave a legacy that reverberates across generations? And in order to do that, we can't just focus monetarily. We got to focus eternally. We can't just focus physically. We got to focus spiritually to leave a legacy of faith because our legacy of faith would outlast anything else that we leave behind. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called Biblical Family in a Modern World. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part 10 titled, A Lasting Legacy. Good morning. It's good to see you guys here today. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Today, we're going to look at verses 1 through 12 as we talk through and we wrap up a biblical family in a modern world sermon series. We talked about uh, several key things that if we desire to be families that are rooted in the scriptures, then we align our lives according to his design. And God has much to say about the family unit. And so we've taken a look at uh, God's design for marriage. We've taken a look at uh, building godly homes and not just constructing houses. We talked about the differing roles as spelled out in Scripture between husband and wife. And we talked about the charge and how to raise godly-focused kids. We talked about finances in the home and how it's often a stressor in our marriages. And we talked about intimacy and communication. We talked about having conviction last week. And today, we're going to be looking at leaving a lasting legacy. Now, in case you're wondering, we're going to kick off next week a new series of sermons that we're entitled The Core. And there in your seat or a seat next to you, you have a promotional piece that you can actually tear off the bottom of that and invite somebody uh, to join you starting next Sunday as we look at The Core. When we talk about The Core, we're talking about our core values. What is it that we as a church value that drives us to accomplish our mission, our vision, and to be about our strategy? You know, we have a mission that's spelled out to us by the scriptures that we are to make disciples that make disciples. We have a vision that we exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. And we do that through a spelled out strategy that we trust Jesus through worship, that we transform lives in community and that we tell others by living on mission. But what is it that undergirds that? What is it that drives our desire to see that? And that is our core values. And so we're going to take a core value uh, that we have worked hard to develop, and those will serve as underpinnings, motivations to be able to execute our vision and our strategy. But today, we're talking about leaving a lasting legacy for a biblically rooted family. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines legacy as something transmitted or received from an ancestor or predecessor or from the past. In other words, a legacy is what someone leaves behind. When they go on to glory, 
when their time on this planet is done, how would they be remembered? How will you and I be remembered? What will we be remembered for? I, I want us to, to be challenged to be purposeful in what we leave behind. That what we leave behind is a legacy of faith. That we be remembered for our faith and trust in God and that that would serve as a marker for our families. You know, I've shared these pictures before, but I want to show you a couple of pictures that sit in my office. Uh, this first one uh, is a picture of my family in our boots after we went hiking uh, in Sedona, Arizona. It was a misty kind of day, and so the, the trail was real rocky and kind of muddy. And, and, and when I see that picture, what you guys don't see is what seemed like the marathon <laughs> that we hiked in, in order to get to where our destination was. And, but when I see that picture, I remember how tired and sore my legs were. I remember that my hip flexors decided to no longer work, and I was literally shuffling as I made my way to the car in the parking lot. I remember that very vividly whenever I see this picture. But let me show you what we got to experience because we went on such a hike. This is the second picture. This is my absolute favorite picture in my office. This is Kathy and I on what is called the Devil's Bridge. Now, that is about a four-foot section of rock, and the nearest thing between that rock and the ground is about 300 feet of air, right? And so this picture doesn't do it justice. Kathy was a little too afraid to go all the way to the other side, and so we stayed on the short side uh, there. But, but I remember all the memories that flood my mind on that family vacation and what we got to experience there. Well, in much the same way, God is big into us remembering placing markers in our lives that cause us to reflect back on a way in which we have seen God work in our lives. Memories, not just of family vacations, but memories of faith. And that we create these markers for our kids and our grandkids. You know, there are many examples in scriptures, both the Old and New Testament, where God asks his people to, to remember something. In the Old Testament, he will instruct his people to build monuments so that when their kids come across these monuments and ask, what is it for, that, that parents can be intentional in communicating the ways in which God worked. He established traditions. Many of the feasts are feasts dedicated to remembering specific ways in which God worked, and especially like the idea of Passover and how God delivered them out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt. And ultimately, Passover for the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world that you and I might enjoy a relationship with God. It was very intentional that God established Passover. Well, fast forward to the New Testament. God is still big in remembering. In fact, one of the things that he instructs the church to do is for us to remember his death, his burial, and his resurrection until he comes again through what is known as communion, the Lord's Supper. It is a remembrance of how God has worked for us. One of the major reasons God asks his people to remember things is so that key truths and traditions can be passed down to future generations. And that is what the Deuteronomy 6 passage is all about. It is a call to remember the work of God. It is a call to remember God's faithfulness. And it is a challenge to the next generation to begin carrying the torch. You know, there are key markers. Whenever I look back on my life growing up, 
There are key markers that my parents made that have had profound impacts on me. When I was six years old, my parents had gotten out of the habit of going to church. We never went to church until I was around six years old, beginning first grade. My parents made a resolution. You know what? We need to be in church. We need to communicate the importance to our son, to Chris, of, of, of being in the church. And, and, you know, I think back to that when my parents made that conscious decision. And, and this is the thought that enters my mind. Would I be in ministry today if my parents had not made that decision? It had a profound impact. Now, I know and understand the sovereignty of God, and God will accomplish his will, and he probably would have called me into ministry regardless, but you see the point of what I'm talking about, right? It's a, it's a conscious decision my parents made to instill faith within me and my sister. We all create key moments whether we realize it or not, by which we are remembered. And we must create key moments. We must create anchors, if you will, for our kids and our grandkids to remember not just us, but to remember God's faithfulness to us. You know, there's many ways that we can leave a legacy. An inheritance is a legacy. But an inheritance is usually gone in one generation. Am I right? What if we were to leave a legacy that reverberates across generations? We could do that. And in order to do that, we can't just focus monetarily. we got to focus eternally. We can't just focus physically. we got to focus spiritually to leave a legacy of faith. Because our legacy of faith will outlast anything else that we leave Behind, and that is the focus of our study this morning. We're going to see that a legacy of faith begins with a love for God. It is developed by rhythms with God, and a legacy reviews the works of God. And that will serve as our outline here this morning. So let's first look at how a legacy of faith begins with a love for God. In order to pass along a love for God to the next generation, you must first possess a love of God yourself. And I believe that is Moses' point here. Read along in your copy of God's Word, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. It says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land in which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, and you and your son, and your son's son. Now that's legacy, right? How do we get that? By keeping all his statutes and his commands, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. A few things to mention here as a legacy is established by loving God ourselves. This is a speech that Moses begins, and it is the first of the series of the last speeches he will ever give. Speeches that were echoed 3,400 years ago. He's 120 years old here, and Moses is addressing a new generation of Jews. 
And they're poised, they're getting ready to take hold of that which God had promised them, a land beyond the Jordan River, a land flowing with milk and honey. The previous generation had all passed away. And the people now in the audience were babies and teenagers when the exodus occurred. And most of them probably don't even remember the exodus. They'd been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. It's been 40 years. I can't remember things from last week, let alone 40 years ago. And what Moses does is he says, I've got to be intentional here. In the last of my speeches to them, I've got to make sure that they know the law of God. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, he gives the Ten Commandments. Again, it's another giving of the Ten Commandments. He's charging the next generation to live by them. And in fact, the word Deuteronomy is very uh, peculiar. It is a compound word. The word deutero means second. And the word namion means law. So the book of Deuteronomy is a second giving of the law. Uh, he's intentional here. He's saying, listen, i got to give you a recap because you're fixing to possess a land and you need to know what is most important and it is not where you live, it is not what you do, it's who you love that is of utmost importance. And so this morning, we are looking at the retelling of a next generation kind of leadership. I want to point something out to you just because I think that it fits really well. On stage this morning, uh, the oldest people on stage this morning is Candy, myself, and Micah's dad. Everybody else is in their 20s and 30s. And I don't know about you, but that's kind of awesome to me. Like, I'm 46. Like, where did, when did I become the old guy on stage, right? But what we are witnessing, beloved, is a 2 Timothy 2.2 kind of thing. Remember what Paul says to Timothy? He says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's what Moses is getting at when he's retelling the law. He's saying, listen, I'm entrusting this to you that you will then entrust it to the next generation and to the next generation and to the next generation. What I am telling you is to leave a legacy of faith I'm challenging you to be centered on what is most important. And he begins his speech, the last of his speeches. And he says in verse 2, to fear the Lord. To fear the Lord. You know, that's an important theme throughout Scripture, both the Old and the New Testament. To fear the Lord. It's not a fear like I'm afraid of God. No, it's a reverent awe of God. Why are we to have a reverent awe? awe of God because he is holy. He's supreme. He's above all. He should take his rightful place in our lives and therefore we have reverence for a holy God. That's why I say that a legacy begins with a love for God. You cannot pass down that which is not yours. We must love God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, and with all of our strength. Then in verse 4, Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. In Hebrew, these verses are known as the Shema. It is a confession of faith. And did you know to this very day, devout Jews speak this confession of faith? Same words. And they do it twice a day. 
It was so important that they established a rhythm of regularly communicating and reminding themselves to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that the Lord our God, he is one. Now, what's interesting here is in this confession is the single proof passage for Jews to say that the Christian theology, the Christian teaching of the Trinity is an error. God cannot be three. He is one. But here's what's interesting. The word one translated in the original language is a word that means a compound unity. For example, it is the same word that is mentioned in Genesis 2, 24, when God said that a married couple is no longer two, but one flesh. It is plurality and singularity. So Moses, Moses knew the God of heaven. He knew the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and was very intentional in using this word that means three in one. And then the command in verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God. With how much of your heart? All of it. With how much of your soul? All of it. And with how much of your might? Every bit of it. The idea here is that we are to love God with the whole of who we are. We're to love him with everything. The way we think, the way we speak, our passions, our time, our finances, our energy, everything is to point to a love for God. And the principle is that what happens in our hearts, what happens deep within our souls, what happens in the display of our lives is a reflection of the God we love. Why is that so important? Well, it's important because our kids often take note of what is most passionate in mom and dad's heart. Let me prove it to you. How many of you, by show of hands, you're Texas Rangers fans, right? How many of you Houston Astros fans? All right, you need to repent and come down and forward, and we'll do that right now. We'll make time. Just kidding. How many, those of you, raise your hand, Texas Rangers fans, how many of your kids are Texas Rangers fans? Okay? High percentage. Here's my point. Our kids don't come to us having been born, saying, you know what, I want to be a Texas Rangers fan. They're Texas Rangers fans because we took them to the games. We turn them on on TV. We root for the Texas Rangers. And it is instilled in them from a very young age that we are Texas Rangers fans. And those of you that are Houston Astros fans, you're misleading your kids, all right? That's in the Bible. You need to, you need to repent from that. Listen, if we truly love the Lord... With all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our minds, you know what? Our kids see it. It's obvious. It's apparent. And it is then passed along to them. So legacy begins with a love for God. Secondly, legacy is developed by rhythms with God. With rhythms with God. Did you know every home has a rhythm in it? A regularity by which we go about life. The question is, is what rhythms are we building into our families? What, what are the regularities of our families? Moses talks to this. He says, listen, you've got to establish rhythms in your home. If you're going to influence the next generation, there must be rhythms. Look at verses 6 through 9 as he teaches this. And these words that I command today shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. 
and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Do you see the rhythms? I, I want to mention four areas of rhythms that Paul, or that not Paul, but Moses gives to us today. The first rhythm is a rhythm of dedication, to be dedicated. Moses says that the commands of God are to first be upon our hearts. The first rhythm we must establish in leaving a legacy of faith is daily time with God. There to be upon our heart. All the time, each and every day, we are to press into the word of God from a regular personal time with him. That is a rhythm that is often caught, not just taught. The second rhythm is what is communicated. We are to be dedicated, but then we are to communicate them to our children. Moses says in verse 7 that we are to teach God's commandments diligently. The word diligently means carefully or intentionally. They don't just automatically learn it. We've got to be intentional in communicating it to it, to our kids. We teach them when we sit in our house, around our dinner tables. We teach them when we're hanging out with our family. We teach them when we walk, when we go about the business of our day. We teach them when we lay them down at bedtime. And when they get up, we teach them intentionally. And here's what I notice about these specific examples. I believe Moses is urging us to say, redeem the mundane task of life and leverage them for teaching opportunities for God's truth. How are we redeeming the mundane? Listen, you got to eat. Talk about the Lord. You got to go to sleep. Talk about the Lord. You have to take your kids to school. Talk to them about the Lord. See, redeem the mundane. Take the regular routines of our life and maximize the opportunity. Hey, listen, you've got a captive audience in a vehicle. You might as well tell them about the Lord. Take advantage of it. So we're to personally be dedicated to the Lord, then we are to communicate God's commands. The third rhythm is to be reminded. We need to teach, but we also need to remind. In verse 8, Moses says that we are to bind them on your hands. And to keep them before your eyes. In other words, we are to immerse our kids in the truths of God's word. Did you know the Jews actually take that commandment, serve as frontlets between your eyes, very literally? They've made what are called phylactery boxes. These are little boxes that have a leather, leather strap attached to them, and they would quite literally wrapped them around their heads so that this little box was right between their eyes. And inside that box, they would place scriptures, key scriptures. You know, we actually have in the New Testament that Jesus condemns the Pharisees for their phylactery boxes. You know why? Because they made them so big <laughs> to, to appear to be so super religious. But, but the idea is right isn't not? They're saying, hey, listen, if God is saying, hey, we've got to put them as frontlets between our eyes, we've got to be reminded of them often, we've got to literally do this. And so the idea, the heart of what Moses is getting at is that they, we need to be constantly reminded. You know, reminding ourselves of God's goodness to us builds our faith too, not just future generations. But when the going gets tough and you're reminded of how God has worked in your life, doesn't that build your faith in God? 
So we're to be dedicated to God's laws. We're to communicate them to our kids. We're to be reminded of them often. But the fourth rhythm that Moses asks us to establish is that they be displayed. Verse 9, Moses, write them on the doorpost of your house. Put them on your gates. Display the truths of God in our homes. You know, I remember as a kid, we had a family Bible. It was a massive Bible, right? And it was white, leather-bound Bible, and uh, it sat on a table in the foyer of our home right as you enter into the front door. And there the Bible was opened, and, and occasionally my parents would open it to a specific passage. It, it was to serve as a piece, a focal point, to say this home is built upon the Word of God. I remember that family Bible. Now, you may not have a family Bible, but you can still display God's Word in your home. You can hang, hang it on your, your walls. You can put those fancy little stickers above your dining room. You can open it with your family. The, the point is, is that we display the Word of God so that we can be reminded of God's goodness. So, Leaving a lasting legacy begins with a love for God. It's developed by rhythms with God. Thirdly, a legacy of faith reviews the works of God. I want you to follow me here. Look at verses 10 through 12. Moses says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, verse 12, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Moses is saying, listen, I got to give you a warning here. You're about to enter into an amazing land. A strip of property that God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you're going to get to live there. And it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And you're going to live in great cities that a previous generation built. And you're going to benefit from the foundation that another generation laid. And you'll have a booming economy that was built on the hard work and the hard times of others. So be careful. Because in that environment, there is a temptation to forget the Lord and the way in which he's worked. You know, beloved, I can't help but think of the obvious comparison to us today. We live in the greatest country the world has ever known. And make no mistake, our faith was, or our country was established on the faith of great men. Faith in Almighty God, a people who trusted the Lord at every turn, a people who were willing to abandon the comforts of their own home to pursue that which God had called them to pursue. Our forefathers saw and witnessed God's provision firsthand, and we gather in this place on the backs of our forefathers. Statement never truer today. Take care lest you forget the Lord. 
Listen, beloved, we have to review the works of God often so that we don't forget, but more importantly, so that the next generation doesn't forget. We must diligently pass along this faith in God. Do you know what happened to the nation of Israel after they took possession of the land? They forgot the Lord. The book of Judges talks about a cycle that began and was repeated time and time and time again. The cycle was that God would bless Israel for their obedience and that they would forget the Lord and they would pursue sin and their own selfish gain and God would let them experience the the consequences of that. But then after a time, he would raise up a prophet who would proclaim the truth, Israel would repent, and God then would bless them yet again. What is that saying? Those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. We cannot forget the Lord. And it's so fragile. Did you know that our faith is just one generation away from extinction? It's so fragile. Judges 2, 10 through 12 says this about those Israelite people who took the land. And all that generation were also gathered to their fathers, that is that they died, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And what did they do? And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, that is false gods, and they abandoned the Lord the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them. Church family, we got to feel the weight of this. We cannot let a generation rise up after us that does not know the Lord. We've got to be intentional. And here's the deal. It's up to us. It's up to us. We have the opportunity, we've been given the privilege to influence future generations. And so long as we have breath, we must work to influence the next generation in faith. The question is, is what are we doing to leverage the time that we have left? What are we doing to influence, to pass along a legacy of faith? Do we love the Lord? our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength because it begins with a love for God? Are we developing rhythms in our family with God, communicating how important it is to have a relationship with God? And are we reviewing the works of God and praising Him for His faithfulness to us? That's how you build a legacy of faith. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at trinitytx.org. If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. 
Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.